Welcome to the War in Ukraine Update from Kyiv podcast. I'm Jessica Ginawa, a lecturer in international relations at Flinders University in Australia. I'm talking today with Vladimir Dubovic. Vladimir is an associate professor at the Department of International Relations at Mechnikov National University in Odessa, Ukraine. And Vladimir focuses both on US-Ukraine relations, that was the focus of a previous podcast episode. If listeners want to look back at that, that's episode 63, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And Vladimir also focuses on Black regional security, which will be the focus of today's podcast episode. So thanks very much for joining me again, Vladimir. Thank you for having me, Jessica. And the Black Sea security is very timely with all these events, with grain deal and so on. So could you first just briefly outline what the grain export deal is that's recently been signed by Russia, Ukraine, as well as, I believe, Turkey and the United Nations? Right. Yes, it was signed uh, on Friday, July 22nd in Istanbul. And basically, it's two different uh, agreements uh, because Ukraine and Russia didn't want to sign directly. So there is one that Russia signed with uh, Turkey and United Nations, and there's one which Ukraine signed with Turkey and United Nations. Uh, the, the basic thrust of the agreement is uh, for Ukraine to be allowed to you know, export through the ship routes, through the sea routes. Uh, the grain and other uh, foodstuffs uh, like sunflower oil or fertilizers too and some other things that are needed uh, outside of Ukraine and uh, that we were not able to export for the last five months uh, because Russia has established a blockade, the, the naval blockade of Ukraine's Black Sea ports, including the biggest one, my hometown of Odessa, which is a big blow, of course, against Ukraine's economy and Sea has been mined, uh, but the main you know, problem is that there are Russian naval ships that wouldn't allow any ships to move out of uh, the Black Sea ports, Ukraine's Black Sea ports. So now the idea is that the ships will move out, uh, that there will be some kind of coordinating uh, council or headquarters in Istanbul where both uh, Ukrainians and Russians and Turks and UN people will be sitting and uh, you know monitoring and watching those ships come and go. And presumably, I think the Turkish military will be taking a look, uh, inspecting those ships, specifically as they come into Ukraine. So there will be no weapons on those ships when they return back to Ukraine to pick up more grain. Uh, but, uh, of course, uh, in Ukraine, we've been very skeptical about it because we know that, uh, you know, there's not much trust, frankly, towards Russia. You know, what, what, what do you know? Next day, less than 24 hours uh, since the deal was signed. Uh, Russia has strike, has delivered strikes, missile strikes at Odessa seaport. Initially, they said it's not us, you know, but uh, it's it's funny, of course, because it's caliber missiles. It's only Russians basically have it. And uh, they've been shelling us all along with them. And also at the same time, they, they actually send those missiles to some other targets in Ukraine as well. And then later on, they said, OK, but we actually targeted some military targets in Odessa port. But Odessa port is where you have the grain and the the strike was actually like meters away, you know, the foot, feet, foot or feet away from the grain silos where you accumulate the grain to be put in the ships. So, of course, it was a kind of a blow, but so far no one is speaking about uh, actually, you know, just dismissing the whole grain deal. At, at least in Ukraine, our official position is that, of course, we understand that Russia is probably not trustworthy. But at the same time, we intend to respect the deal. So we are, we are preparing, uh, you know, to... To put the grain on the ships and we'll see what coming what will come in the next days and i mean obviously as you said there's very little trust right now 
you know, from Ukraine side for Russia and for very obvious reasons, there's an ongoing brutal war as we speak. But given that, I mean, how did you sort of interpret that missile strike that came so soon after this deal was signed with, you know, Antonio Guterres from the United Nations saying, this is really great, we've got a deal, but then within 24 hours, we get a missile strike pretty yeah. much at the port. Well, it's a great question. I mean, uh, that's, the, that's the main question that experts are trying to assess in this coming couple of days. Uh, the one, there are many theories, like one popular theory, which I don't think is right. And uh, some other experts I, I trust also think it's not right. It's some kind of a internal infighting within Kremlin, you know, with more of a peace doves kind of people and then hawks. You know, I don't think that's that's probably true. I don't think so. But uh, uh, something else, like sending a message again that, uh, yeah, okay, we signed a deal, but we're still at war. We can reach you. It's a power force projection, a power projection. Don't be cheerful about this agreement. We still have this upper hand with missiles uh, flying into Ukraine. Uh, then maybe also um, some sort of a reminder that Russia is uh, having an initiative. Uh, you have to be, you know, I don't know, uh, flattering to Russia or begging them to respect the deal or something like that. They enjoy this ambiguity all the time, you know, the, the murky waters. Like one day we sign a peace agreement, another day we, we, bomb, we bomb you. They kind of like everyone else around them uh, being confused in terms of, okay, so what is your point and what is your policy and uh, what can we expect? So uh, Putin always likes to have everyone off the balance, you know, or on the back of their heels, so to speak. He would do certain things and then people were guessing his motives. And sometimes he would do it just to shock someone, you know, and show that he can. Mm -hmm. And uh, also it probably a signal to Ukrainians that uh, Ukrainians should not consider the counteroffensive in the south, in the Kherson region. And also definitely stay out of Crimea and not strike any targets in Crimea because uh, we've been talking in recent uh, weeks about uh, counteroffensive there, which might include uh, Crimea. And Ukrainian military has been emboldened by uh, the receipt of American uh, HIMARS systems, uh, the multiple launch rocket systems uh, that allowed us to target very precisely certain, reach certain targets precisely, even uh, well beyond the front line, you know, and uh, that emboldened us to the extent that certain politicians and also military people here in Ukraine started talking about uh, liberating uh, certain Ukrainian lands that had been occupied by Russians, including Crimea. And that's, of course, a no-no, a no-go zone, absolute red, hot red line for Putin. And uh, maybe this missile strike into Odessa was also sending another message like, don't you dare because we still have those missiles and we can still ruin a lot of places in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And do you think given that, I mean, obviously it's really important for Ukraine's economy to be able to export goods. I mean, not just grain, other goods, as you also mentioned. So there is a strong incentive for Ukraine that this deal does hold, even if it's under these really unsatisfactory conditions. So what do you think are the chances that this deal will manage to be maintained? Well, I don't think there are too many chances, but we have to try. We have to try because we actually have a lot of our economy devastated and uh, we have to salvage what we can. And for the south of Ukraine, it's a big deal. I mean, the farmers now are uh, collecting the crop in, in, a, in a precarious uh, circumstances. Fields being shelled by Russian missiles as well, specifically by incendiary devices, you know, so to put fire in fields 
or to damage crop. There have been several cases uh, when uh, even uh, the farmers, the people, you know, driving tractors were targeted by Russian military. So people were trying to salvage as much as we can. And uh, this is needed for us, needed for our economy, but also it kind of ironically, paradoxically puts Ukraine in a bad light because some people around the world are saying, okay, Ukraine should just uh, sit down and talk to Russians and, uh, you know, give some concessions. And this war stops, and then we get our foodstuffs uh, easily, you know. (laughs) And then also Russians are saying the reason that you're not getting your grain elsewhere is that uh, there are sanctions against us, which is also not true. The only reason is Russian blockade of of Ukraine's Black Sea ports. So that's why we need to, uh, in Ukraine, we need to be trying to do it, uh, at least if it falls through, it would be clear for everyone who wants to see, you know, that it wasn't our fault, that we actually gave it a try. So it's very important for us. But we would hold, I don't know, because Russia is also interested in this deal, because it would allow elevation of some of the sanctions indeed on their foodstuffs, and they want to do it. They've been already transporting some of their grain, including some Ukrainians stolen from Ukraine grain, about to certain countries like Syria, for instance. They want to bring it to the countries that put uh, that keep Russia on sanctions list. And to do that, uh, they need a certain deal authorized by UN. And that's why uh, they actually are interested in this deal. But at the same time, they are always, always interested as well on uh, keeping Ukraine under pressure. So the blockade worked for them really well in terms of strangling Ukrainian economy and and keeping a certain anxiety in the south of Ukraine, you know, with their naval ships being not too far, you know, mm-hmm. and sea being mined. You know, They really like this blockade as one of the levers of, of pressure on, on Ukraine. So I guess it's double feelings in Moscow. You know, on one hand, they want to keep the blockade, maybe. On another hand, they want to have a deal authorized by UN and uh, to have some of their own grain exported. And also to look good, because, uh, you know, everyone is criticizing Russia for good reason, for their aggression. But they, they want to make it uh, look like, okay, we're reasonable too. See, we've signed a deal, so we're not just about war. Uh, you can actually have a dialogue with us and probably some other people to com- complete this answer uh, also think that Russia is trying to see what the West is thinking about the, the boundaries uh, the, of uh, negotiations. It's a mm-hmm. sort of a trying balloon, how far the West is ready now already to talk to Russia. So they're trying through this deal, they're trying to establish is, uh, is the West is, uh, ripe enough already for some kind of serious talk about Russia, about doing away with sanctions, something like that. Something like that. Mm-hmm. This is slightly on a different issue, but one thing that I've never understood, like you mentioned that some actors are saying, well, Ukraine really needs to start thinking about making some kind of agreement to end the military conflict. But something I've never understood about that is like, I don't really see Russia coming to the table. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm not seeing Putin or the Russian regime right. saying, can we please make a deal with Ukraine now? Like, can we please have a peace agreement already? And that it's Ukraine saying, oh, no, you know, we're not ready. We don't want to. So I never quite understand why is there this Ukraine needs to start thinking about making a deal when I'm not like really seeing that willingness yeah. on the Russian side at the moment. I think it all depends on the, on the, on the conditions and the, on uh, what would be the items on, on a deal. I mean, if, if Russia can dictate their own conditions, uh, they'll probably be ready to sit down for now because they're actually exhausted already in terms of their military effort in Ukraine. Um, you know, most, if not all, 
leading military experts that I've been following, they say that Russia has long time met its culminating moment, so they cannot really offend anymore. Even even in Donbass, you know, they're standing near cities of uh, Bakhmut and Slovyansk and Kramatorsk. And right now, what I've seen in the recent week, most people say they don't have enough forces to take those even those three. Without without those three, they don't have even control of Donbass. So let alone any other region in Ukraine. Same thing in Kherson. They're actually preparing to defend against Ukrainian offensive. So I think they understand this, that uh, there is nowhere they can find the fresh personnel that will be trained well enough and equipped well enough. Uh, um, a lot of equipment is lost uh, in irreparably for them. You know, they do have some stuff like missiles and bombs, but uh, on certain types of equipment, they are really short already. Uh, they cannot get it from anywhere else because uh, so far, you know, no one is ready to help them except for this uh, talk about the deal with Iran, maybe for some drones that Iranians can give to Russians. But that wouldn't be, a, you know, the, the situation changer, really, for the whole situation, the battlefront. So I think they understand uh, that they also kind of need a deal. But ideally, of course, that would be something with their negotiating position being stronger and uh, ukrainians understand that too understand that too you know and one now it's another phase where we have hopes because of uh, you know we're not losing that many men as we did about a month ago in donbass uh, when president zelensky said we're losing like 100 to 20 military people every day two days ago he said we're losing something like 30 people so still someone's lives so it's precious and so on mm-hmm. but still it's much better now so more sustainable for Ukrainian military, so to speak. And now we have more of those Western weapons, and including, actually, thank you very much, uh, some of the Australian, uh, you know, uh, defense assistance as well, uh, working uh, already. So for Ukraine, and uh, I think that both sides understand that uh, it could uh, probably get worse, get better, and they're trying to see Kiev and Moscow, like what's the right moment there for talks, and uh, the talks might start any moment, but. But you're right, I don't think uh, Russians are ready yet. And Putin is probably also living under the illusion that you know, we can still win this thing, we can outweigh the West. Well, that's the main hope there in the Kremlin. If, if the West suddenly collapses, this coalition, of pro-Ukraine coalition, and the Russian coalition collapses, uh, that's it. You know, Because Ukrainians, obviously, despite its heroics of our military, if we're not receiving you know, the weapons from our allies and friends, and if, not, if we're not receiving financial assistance for our economy and, uh, and recovery of economy as well, we are screwed. Well, maybe not a very scholarly term, but uh, yeah, we'll be in a bad, bad way. So we also understand that, and Moscow understand that. And I'm just thinking, okay, maybe there is a, a limit of pay, to patience in the West, uh, you know. And then at some point, I think people in certain capitals in in, in Europe, for instance, would say, okay, that's enough. We've tried supporting Ukraine. The war is going on. Let's push uh, Kiev to some peace deal. Mm, yeah, I mean, I hope not, obviously. Uh, also, yeah. not, but we need to acknowledge all, all possibilities. Thank you, Vladimir. I appreciate you being on the podcast again today and sharing your reflections on yeah. these recent developments. Thank you, Jessica. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Mr. Smith for our theme music.